Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. So this is November 1st, and guess what that means? That means the holidays are right around the corner. So I'm in the Chicagoland area, and guess what, folks? We've had snow already this week. In my opinion, it's come way too soon. So on today's show, we're going to be talking about uh, about nine questions your doctor wishes you asked. Uh, and also the same nine questions, I would say, are questions you really need to be asking. We're going to talk about that in the first half of the hour. And then the second half of the hour, we're going to be talking about boundaries, what that means and why it's important that you set them. And I have a special guest with me today on our listener line. Uh, so welcome, Barry. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Welcome. And so where are you calling us from today? You're in Wisconsin, correct? Yes. Okay. I am, uh, I am, I'm calling you from northern Wisconsin, uh, in a little town called Crandon, Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> How far is that from uh, uh, Green Bay and Madison? Uh, it's about uh, 90 miles northwest, nor- north, yeah, northwest of uh, Green Bay. Okay, so great. So thank you for uh, being on our listener line today. Did you all get snow this week? Just a little bit. We uh, just have just enough dusting right now to warn you that uh, it's on its way. Okay, and I can, I Got can it. hardly wait. <laughs> well, I know you got a busy day ahead of you and that you can only be with us on the listener line for a little bit, so we're going to go ahead and get started. And so, Barry, what we're talking about uh, today is nine questions uh, you should be discussing with your doctor and you should be asking your doctor. And, um, you know, despite their best intentions, doctors, many of them are just like the rest of us, meaning they can misconstrue things, they can miscommunicate, and sometimes they just plain mess up. Sometimes they're in a rush. And basically, you know, I'm a patient, I know you're a patient as well, and uh, it's really more like, I feel oftentimes, drive-through delivery, meaning, you know, Barry, have you ever noticed when you make the appointment with your doctor, they may ask you why you're coming in? <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and you know why that is? <laughs> no. Okay. Really. So, Barry, they're asking you that question because that's going <laughs> to determine, my friend, how much time, face-to-face time, you're going to get with the doctor. That can be 15 minutes, can be 30 minutes, you know. Uh, That's why they're asking those questions to decide, well, how much face-to-face time you're going to get with the doctor. That's why I said it's uh, drive-through. You know, you're you're, you're just driving through in that lane. You know, it's just like when you go, if you ever stop at a fast food place, you tell them your order, okay, they're going to prepare it. You get up to that window and you check it out. Basically, that's where we what we have come to. Right. I agree with you. <laughs> okay. So in terms of uh, questions you should be asking your doctor is number one. Uh, and I hear this all the time. And you may have experienced this. You go to the doctor 
and they tell you what they perceive as your diagnosis or what the test results are. Okay. And you may say just not just you, but whomever, just paraphrasing, they may say, okay, uh, they listen to the doctor and they leave, they leave, they go home. And then they're like, you know what? I don't know what that means. I don't even know <laughs> what, you know, what the options are. I don't know any of that. And that's a real big problem. So as a health activist uh, and a health coach, uh, I want to really talk about that today because I want to educate people on the questions they should be asking. So number one, the number one question you should be asking, uh, Barry, is what are the different treatment options? Okay, because this you need to ask that question because this should be a shared decision making process. All right. Um, and also. When you have that conversation, you may need to ask your doctor about your alternatives. So I'll tell you why I say that. I was at uh, a patient at the Mayo Clinic a couple of years ago, and they shared with me what my diagnosis was. And uh, I asked them, you know, what are the different treatment options? And, you know, the best part about it, Barry, was they really got it. I, per se, did not have to spend a lot of time asking them that question because they sat me down and they said, Hey, we're going to lay it out for you, Nisi. Here are the options. And it should be a shared decision-making process because Barry, even though the doctor may say these are the options, they can't force any option upon you. So you really need to be working together as a team. You know what I mean? Sure. I've, a hundred percent. Yes, I do. So have you ever experienced a situation where, let's say, you receive medical care and treatment and uh, they never discuss the different treatment options? I have I have had that uh, with um, uh, diverticulitis. Okay. And uh, also with diabetes. Uh, you know, within the last few years, I've, you know, well, how are you feeling? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was feeling just wonderful. Um and uh, say, well, what can we do? And, and it seems like they go to from A, now I know what you're here for, to B, C, and we ended up at D. Here's the, here's the best answer, you know, that, that right. we have. Right. And it's not always the best, the best interest of a patient. I don't believe that happens at that point. And you're absolutely correct. You know, so that's a good example. Um, thank you for sharing because their job should really be to inform their patients. Uh, of the options and then once they inform you of what that options are and then work with you where you can sort it out together so when you mentioned diverticulitis and um, diabetes there's different treatment options you know uh, with diabetes for example because uh, I'm also diabetic and I can relate to exactly what you're saying whether it is metformin meparite you know genuvia what it, what um whatever it is they really need to be sharing with you the different treatment options as well as the side effects and what the outcomes are that you should expect. Because, you know, you can have a dozen people or a thousand people on the same medication. You and I can be on the same medication. Doesn't mean that you and I are going to have the same outcomes, you know? Right. So right. that's why it's important that they discuss with you what are the different treatment options. And then the other thing is, what outcome should I expect? That should be question number two, because uh, with diabetes, 
when I was first diagnosed and you can share what your experience was. Uh, I knew that my mother was diabetic and that on my uh, maternal on mother's side of the family, I knew many of them were diabetics, but this was new to me. And this was, you know, I was diagnosed later in life. And so I was very curious about, okay, what outcome should I expect? You know, I'm going to be on this medication. How long am I going to need to be on this medication? How is my life going to change? And it was, I also needed to know what type of um, medical and symptomatic outcomes the doctor was expecting. So when you were diagnosed with that, with diabetes as well as di- diverticulitis, did they ever tell you what outcome you should expect? Um, yes, but it was a little bit later into um, into my diabetes especially that uh, um, they diagnosed me and said that, well, you're going from pre-diabetes to, you know, real um, type 2 diabetes, and uh, uh, I was prescribed uh, uh, metformin and lipizide, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of left at that. I said, well, you know, take your finger pricks uh, in the morning before you eat and sometime in the afternoon, and we'd like to look at them in two or three weeks. Well, <laughs> you know, um, I, uh, that was my first, you know, my, my first real um, meeting with diabetes and what was expected of me. And uh, there wasn't much else until uh, three weeks later when I uh, came in and, and uh, they said, well, you've been kind of high in the morning. You know? and I, said, well, yeah, I, I guess so. And uh, they said, well, you should be trying to keep at like 125, 130, and I'm at uh, 140. And I didn't, uh, I didn't have a good answer for why it was like that, except that I guess I was taking a midnight snack in there, which still was with me at uh, at the time when I got up in the morning. Right. So they didn't really tell me. <laughs> tell exactly. Me that and that really goes back to what outcome should I expect? So like you said, being diabetic, you know, they had you come back, you know, they'll throw different. Uh, for those of you listening to the show today, you know, if you're diabetic or you, you know somebody diabetic, um, what is important for you to know is that, you know, there are a, a lot of different things we have to deal with. Number one, managing that A1C. Oftentimes your doctor may tell you they want you to be a six or under six. Okay. Just like you just said, Barry, about the right. numbers fluctuate. You know, what right. should you eating? How many times a day should you be checking your sugar, your glucose? You know, all, all of those things. And Barry, I have found that, you know, it can fluctuate for any reason at all. Things outside of your control. I believe that. Yes. I surely believe. So that's one of the first things they should have been discussing with you. Um, what outcome you should expect. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing is point number three is, do we have to do this now or can we revisit it later? So, when they meet with the patient, the doctor, you know, I understand there's the temptation to be as thorough as possible with tests or treatments. Uh, but sometimes certain tests or therapies can wait. So we need to be asking them the question, is this necessary now? It's one thing to me 
if I'm asking you, okay, is this really necessary now? Because let's face it, a lot of these tests and treatments, they cost a lot of money. And not to say some of it is not important. Some of it may can wait. But if it's something I feel that's urgent, that needs to be done, you know, tell the patient. Let the patient know right away. Likewise, if I need to have a test or exam and you know I need to have this, don't hold off. Tell me sooner than later. And Barry, I actually experienced that uh, recently where some of my levels on some of my tests, the, bl- the blood tests, have been sure. high. And I had been looking at the test results. And I've noticed that they had actually been high for a couple of years. And each time I would ask the doctor, what does this mean? Why is this always high? He would say, and sometimes she would say, you know, yeah, we noticed that. We're not really certain. And I would say, well, is this something we need to visit right now and talk about? You know, what does this mean? Do you not know it was not until uh, three months ago that they finally told me after looking at these high levels for months, I mean, actually years, hey, we think you need to go in and have your gallbladder checked. You know, yeah, you know, it, it really bothered me because I'm thinking this has been like this for a while. I've been experiencing some complications. You should have told me sooner. Because each time I ask, they say, oh, no, no, nothing to worry about. Then guess what, Barry? All of a sudden, they're now worried about it. Sure. I, I, I believe that. Yes. Uh, you know, you, you can even get into, I mean, I mean here's a, that seems complicated, and yet it isn't for a test. But I, uh, I experienced uh, problems with uh, metformin, you know, right away. And I was on it for four years before. I, they said, well, why don't we try something else if this is really bothering your, your stomach? And I, geez, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. after 10 visits here, <laughs> now is, now is the time that, uh, we've come up with the let's try something else. And I've been, uh, I, uh, being unpleasantly surprised with using metformin for three years, uh, which is kind of a long period, you know, to, to just, uh, come up and say, well, if you're having trouble now, well, I was having trouble. Every time I went to the doctor, I told them that. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Kinda, it just kind of got ignored. And that's no fun being ignored. And keep in mind, too, you know, you're paying money for this medication. So, yes. you know, switching here, switching there, all of this is an expense for us, the patient. We want the best quality health care. But, you know, we need physicians that are engaged with us, the patient, and most importantly, listening to us, listening to our concerns, not just brushing it off. Right. Yes. And then um, question number four is, is there anything I can do on my own to improve my condition? Because let's face it, lifestyle choices, you know, such as what you eat, how much you move, you sleep, work out, exercise, and even whether you smoke. They basically research has shown it counts for about seventy percent of your risk for illness uh and disease. So it can play a huge role in helping you to recover from an existing condition, of course, um depending upon, you know, what is what it is. So I do believe that lifestyle can play a factor, but that's definitely a question that patients need to be asking their doctor. Hey, is there anything I can do on my own to improve my condition? Because, you know, there may be some things you can do. It's just like, for example, 
uh, you've been seeing in the news. I know I have here in the Chicagoland uh, area. A lot of people have been vaping and you've seen on the news about all these people, some of them dying due to vaping. Uh, some of them having some severe upper respiratory conditions. You know, it's a matter of stop doing those things because that is a lifestyle factor. Likewise, when you ask the question, is there anything I can do on my own to improve uh, my condition? If your physician would have said, for example, hey, Barry, uh, eat such and such, you know, uh, add this to your diet, do away with that, modify this, just different things to educate you on. You know, that would have gone a long way in helping you to improve your own condition. Yes. Right. You know. Um, yes. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's looking back. Uh, yes, it should have been brought up many times. Uh, yes. And, you know, Barry, sometimes the doctors won't even suggest lifestyle interventions unless you, the patient, acts. I remember a situation where um, they had told me, you know, you can't have any fruit, you can't have this, you can't have that. And I thought, you know what, um, why can't I have fruit? I know fruit right. has sugar in it, natural mm-hmm. sugar, but there are some fruits we can have. And also, too, berries, for example, those are heart healthy. Uh, a lot of different fruits, your, your body needs fruits and vegetables. And um, sometimes they just don't suggest anything. Sometimes they don't stick around long enough to to really answer those questions. And it's really frustrating when you see somebody, let's say a clinician today, you develop a relationship and then they're gone again or they change their hours to part-time. Yes. It's very dis- disturbing <laughs> because I'm, I'm having that, I'm experiencing that problem right now. My, my full-time doctor is now a two-day-a-week two doctor, which if you call him tonight and ask him for a, 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 even a brief meeting with him, He's into December. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's really kind of discouraging. Especially when you need to be seen. You know, you have some questions. Yes, right. yes. And then um, question number five, what are the side effects? So, you know, because there's always the possibility that um, you can experience side effects taking these medications. You mentioned metformin, and I remember, oh, my goodness, that is one medication that used to always upset my stomach. I, I just could not physically tolerate it. Right. I agree with you there. Yes. So, Barry, I know your time is limited with me today. So um, if you, you know, if you have to, you know, drop off and go, I, I totally understand. We'll continue with the show. But I just want to thank you, you know, for uh, coming on to our listener line today. Well, I thank, I thank you very much. And, uh, you know, you're just a, a wealth of information for uh, diabetes and, and uh, you know, any kind of a uh, nerve disease, which comes out of uh, diabetics, uh, it's uh, it's it's refreshing to know that there's that you're out there that you haven't that you have looked at it and there are answers. Thank you. Just well, well, we'll look at it sometime. And I think one thing that I would love to, love to hear your your response to, and when you have time, is that um, um, I was told well you could become extremely depressed because you have diabetes mm-hmm. and I, yeah it it really does bother me that now i have a list of 40 things that could go wrong that uh last week i, I didn't even think about mm-hmm. and and now you're telling me that i'm facing depression because 
um, diabetes opens up to, up to uh, other health problems such as eyesight. Yes. Uh, uh, nerve damage in your legs and, and uh, feet, mm-hmm. which I have at this point. And, uh, yeah, I guess you should be just, uh, you, know, you know, some sort of uh, face depression that way somehow, uh, because it is, it's, your whole lifestyle has changed. Absolutely. Um, so and, you want to know my thoughts on that? Is that your question for me? Yes. Oh, sure. Well, my yes. thoughts on that is, number one, uh, I feel with any chronic illness, you know, it can potentially uh, lead to depression. I, you know, I remember um, when I was experiencing a lot of chronic pain going back to 2012, and it wasn't until 2014 that I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I was depressed for a bit because, uh, you know, number one, when you're when you have a chronic illness and you don't feel well and you can't get answers to your questions and you don't know what's going on with you. And every time you feel a pain or ache or something changes, you worry, you get stressed out, especially when there's nobody educating you um, as the patient to let you know what to expect, what's going on, how to handle it. So uh, that can be very common. I have experienced that, but I'm going to tell you how I uh, dealt with it. So for me, what I had to do was, besides prayer, which was number one for me, because I'm a woman of faith, that helped me out a lot. Uh, besides that, Barry, I had to really educate myself on as much as I could about fibromyalgia, spondylitis, as well as diabetes, because I had to educate me because I had so many unanswered questions. And right. uh, the more I better understood the disease, the chronic illness, and the more I uh, educated myself as to treatment options and what I can do to feel better, then it made a difference for me. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, very much. Very so, much. Yeah. So just because like, for I example, think- diverticulitis. Educate yourself on that, and I'm going to be sending you, you know, some information on that as well. Because guess what? Knowledge is power. People perish due to a lack of uh, a lack of knowledge. Oh yes, yes, and and I think sometimes the uh, the presentation of some of this uh, dietary changes that you're supposed to make becomes very. I, I don't know it. it it doesn't please you very much. You know, That's when, true. When when you're looking at, well, here's here you're supposed to have this this many vegetables, and oh my gosh, you could have just a little bit of potatoes and lots yes. of red meat. And, yes. And it's well, okay. Now that we're done, what can I eat? <laughs> yes. That is my normal diet. Yeah, that's and true. Um, a, it becomes. Disheartening. I yeah, think. it's a. I, I for me, it's a matter of experimenting with different foods, such as um, whole grain oats. You know, lean cuts of proteins. No, no, nothing fatty, baked, broiled, or grilled. Um, nothing fried. Making certain that I'm taking proper supplements, getting rest, getting some type of physical activity, and also too, you know your body. So, for example, I, you know, eat oatmeal most mornings. But I also notice something that sometimes when I eat oatmeal, it can raise my glucose. So I made some modifications in terms of the oatmeal to go for um, something else besides oatmeal in the mornings. OK, uh, because it was raising my glucose. The doctor said it shouldn't be raising your glucose. I says, well, each patient is different. 
our body chemistry is different. It's all in how whatever the ingredients, the, the, the way that my system is responding to it, you know, sometimes it works for me, sometimes it doesn't. So when you notice those subtle changes, then that's when you have to look at, okay, when I try this, this doesn't work. Barry, I've even had to go to the point of keeping a food diary. Oh, sure. You know, just to keep track of, okay, when I ate this at this date and time, this was fine. Over here, it wasn't. Because, you know, I was looking for patterns. So, um, well, like you said, depression, yes, it can lead to depression because especially when you have a lot of chronic illnesses, you begin to feel like there's no hope sometimes. But, you know, if there's anyone listening today, I want you to know that there is always hope. There is always hope. Stay on Hope Avenue and never give up. Even at very my worst of times, I always kept telling myself, you know what? I'm going to get through this one minute at a time because that's all we all get. Yes. And if you get up the next morning and say, well, we've got another day ahead of us. So let's uh, let's make the best of it. I yep. agree with you 100 percent. So we're going to um, go for a commercial break to hear a word from our sponsor. And, Barry, thank you for joining me today. And I would love for you to come back another time to be on the listener line. I will. And thank you very much, Nisi. You're welcome. Have a great day. Soul Care Services Incorporated, DBA Bridging Care Home Health Plus. At Soul Care Services Incorporated, we take great pride in helping patients return to an independent and fulfilling life. Improving patient outcomes by providing a continuum of care through disease and care management. Why choose us? Our staff is multilingual. Communication between patients and their health care providers is fundamental for ensuring quality health care and developing trusting relationships. It is an important component of patient satisfaction, compliance, and outcomes. When a healthcare professional can understand their patients' questions and concerns, they can mitigate their confusion and truly understand what help they seek. Do you need healthcare in the home? Then call us today, 847-260-5140, or visit www.soulcareservices.com. Soul Care Services Incorporated, DBA Bridging Care Home Health Plus, your health is our only concern. Welcome back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Nisi Edwards, the Pain-Free Zone. So today we are talking about the questions you should be asking your doctor. And then the second half of the hour, we're going to talk about setting boundaries. So what we've covered so far was in terms of questions to ask your doctor is number one. Uh, the first question that we raised was what are the different treatment options? Okay. Um, because that's important to know. You need to know, you know, what are the options? Uh, have your physician to lay those options on the table so you can decide which is the best one for you. Number two, we talked about what outcomes should I expect? That's important because you as the patient, you want to know what is the best possible outcome. You know, it could make a difference in the world in your mindset to experience small improvements in one or two of your symptoms. So if you was listening to the show a few minutes ago, one of our listeners joined us today. His name is Barry. 
we were talking about diverticulitis as well as uh, diabetes and chronic pain. And uh, imagine that, you know, your glucose is high all the time. Imagine what that would be like to, you know, start seeing subtle, small improvements in your glucose. Same thing with diverticulitis, to start noticing that the pain is not as severe. So these small improvements, hey, you know, that can uh, do a lot for the mindset. You know, it can make you feel encouraged. So those, that's the, the second question again. What outcome should I expect? That's what I want you to be asking your doctor. Um, so it's very important. And it's also important to ask what type of medical and symptomatic outcomes you can expect. They should be able to tell you. All right. Question number three. Um, also ask them, do we have to do this now or can we revisit later? All right. Because there may be a possibility of some tests and treatments that you may need to have. Um, and some tests or therapies, you know, can wait. Some possibly can not wait. All right. So things that may wait, you know, it could be maybe some um, routine screenings that they do every year. You know, it, that's something that you will need to talk with your physician about. Uh, that's just an example, but it can be any manner of thing. But anything that's urgent, uh, that's critical, um, those are those tests and treatments you need to know um, if you can do it now or should it be revisited for later. So my uh, philosophy on that is I want to know. So if there are some tests and treatments out there, I want to know what they are. I want to know what are my best treatment options because I never, ever want to have a physician say to me, had you come to see me sooner, we could have done this type of treatment. We could have done this type of therapy or giving you this type of medication, but now it's too late. So uh, always, you know, look at it from the perspective that this is you. This is your health. You want the best possible health. Don't delay seeing a doctor seeking medical treatment. Okay, so again, that's one question you should be asking. Do we have to do this now or can we revisit uh, later? Because if you're having some serious complications. There are some things you don't want to revisit later. You want to do it now because the worst thing is having something going on and it's not been addressed. And, you know, you're dealing with that and you have so many unanswered questions that in itself can lead to depression. That can lead to stress. That can lead to you not being able to sleep well at night. That can lead to you worrying a lot. So it's important uh, that you have that question, that you address that with your physician. So question number four, um, one of the things you should be asking is, is there anything I can do on my own to improve my condition? So if there are some treatments, medications, exercises, foods you should be eating um, that can help improve your condition, that's something you definitely want to know. Okay. Uh, question number five, what are the side effects? Because there's always the possibility that medications could have adverse reactions. All right. Uh, you heard me talk with uh, my friend Barry on the line about diabetes, how metformin, a lot of people do experience a lot of um, gastrointestinal, you know, discomfort. Uh, 
taking that medication, you know, as well as numerous other drugs out there have a lot of side effects. So you need to know what are the side effects. Knowing what the side effects are does not necessarily mean you're going to experience them, but you do need to know firsthand so that if it should occur, you'll have an idea to say, okay, this is what the doctor was talking about. Okay, let me make an appointment to let them know that I am experiencing this. All right, so that was number five. Number six is, how will I hear about my test results? That's important because uh, there are some doctors, you can have uh, some tests done and you may be waiting maybe six months or less before you find out what the test results are. I don't know about you, but that can create a lot of anxiety waiting around. And so for me, whenever I have a test, I'm always asking them, okay, how soon can I expect for the test results to come back for you to receive them? Then once you receive them, how soon can I expect for you to communicate with me to let me know what the results are? Also ask them, do I need to make an appointment with you to find out what the test results are? How is that going to be communicated with me? Are you going to send me some type of correspondence in the mail? Or should I just make an appointment? Or are you going to call me? Who's going to call me? So I always find out what's the process for providing the test results. Question number seven, how much will this cost me? So let's face it, medicine can be very expensive. So I know that with one of my arthritis medications, just to show you how expensive it can be, each month this one medication costs $4,000 per month, every single month. That's a lot of money, okay? Thank God I have insurance, but it still costs a lot of money, okay? So that's a lot. So you do need to know what to expect because depending upon your insurance carrier, uh, you may have a lot of co-pays. Uh, you, it may not be covered. Um, you don't want no surprises with that. You need to know how much it's going to cost. You need to know if this is a covered service that's covered under your plan or is this considered, um, you know, something that's considered non-covered or experimental, which oftentimes if uh, the insurance carrier deems a procedure is experimental in nature, they may not necessarily provide coverage for it. So these are questions that you need to ask, okay? And if the doctor doesn't know, he or she should be able to refer you to someone who can give you that answer. And then question number eight that I want you to be asking is, should I get a second opinion? And not only a second opinion, sometimes a third opinion, fourth opinion, fifth opinion, sixth, seventh, or whatever you need. Uh, I've gone down that road. Now, when you get a second opinion, make certain that it's an independent second opinion. So in other words, don't just rely upon another clinician's in the doctor's practice to provide that second opinion. You want it to be independent, meaning outside of their practice. No affiliation because you want a true, honest opinion. So when I shared with Barry a few minutes ago that I had visited the Mayo Clinic, I had to go that far because the doctors were not able to give me the answers that I was seeking. And I wanted to have someone independent outside of the healthcare system that my uh, insurance is in. And uh, I went all the way to the Mayo Clinic and got some answers that I was not able to get locally. 
and the second opinion does matter because um, it's going to confirm a couple of things. It's going to let you know if what you were initially told, if that was correct. It's also a great way to find out what the treatment options are. You are worth it. So never put off getting a second opinion. And I'm going to take it a step further. If you have a doctor that's opposed to you getting a second opinion, that's a red flag. Okay. And then the next question is, what questions haven't I asked that I should have? Okay. Think about that. Ask that doctor the question, you know, say, hey, you know, I've asked you several questions. Is there anything, uh, you know, that I didn't ask that I need to know? Because you don't know what you don't know. That's why you're relying upon your physician to educate you or to give you some um, additional information. So, you know, that's very important. I just want you to make certain that you're enlightened and that you get the questions to your answers. And how I want you to start preparing for these office visits is when you go to the doctor, bring a little notebook with you. Have your questions already written down. Ask the doctor. As we discussed earlier, you only get so much time to ask your questions. So be prepared. Be ready. Bring somebody with you to your visit if you need to that can ask the doctor some questions uh, on your behalf that maybe you have not considered. Okay. So we're going to break in for a word from our sponsor. Soul Care Services Incorporated DBA Bridging Care Home Health Plus. At Soul Care Services Incorporated, we take great pride in helping patients return to an independent and fulfilling life. Improving patient outcomes by providing a continuum of care through disease and care management. Why choose us? Our staff is multilingual. Communication between patients and their health care providers is fundamental for ensuring quality health care and developing trusting relationships. It is an important component of patient satisfaction, compliance, and outcomes. When a healthcare professional can understand their patient's questions and concerns, they can mitigate their confusion and truly understand what help they seek. Do you need health care in the home? Then call us today, 847-260-5140, or visit www.soulcareservices.com. Soul Care Services Incorporated, DBA Bridging Care Home Health Plus. Your health is our only concern. You're listening to The Pain-Free Zone on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Nisi Edwards. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Pain-Free Zone. I'm your host, Nisi Edwards. And so today we're talking about two things. The first half of the hour, what we were talking about was the nine questions you should be asking your physician. And so we're now in the second half of the hour. And so what we're talking about now are boundaries. And uh, I'm just going to be honest. There are a lot of people who just do not respect your own personal boundaries. And we all need boundaries. And we need to know when we need to stay in our lane and stay out of the lane of other people. So boundaries, boundaries enable you to draw a line between you and other people, right? Um, also, boundaries show you where you end and someone else begins. And setting boundaries, um, number one, is, is very important. So let's talk about 
professional boundaries. Think about um, boundaries at work, okay? So when you think about per professional boundaries, so, you know, let's say um, you go to work, you have a chronic illness. Maybe you don't have a chronic illness. Maybe you have some issues in your personal life, okay? Um, coworkers, management per se, should not be buttoned into your own personal affairs, trying to always uh, find out what's going on with you. They need to respect your boundaries. Many, many years ago, I used to work at this one company. I'm not going to call any names, but um, it was well known that if you went to the restroom, okay, and if you were gone longer than the minute, a time that they felt you should be gone, when you came out of that restroom, guess what they would do? They would ask you, what took you so long? I actually experienced experienced that. So other employees had told me about that. I had never experienced that before. And one day I did. They said to me, um, you know, we noticed that you went to the, the restroom at this time. You were gone this amount of time. What took you so long? And I'm going to tell you what my response was. I says, you know, some things do take longer than others. Number one, they stepped into my boundaries. They shouldn't be asking you what's taking so long. That's really none of their business. It's one thing if they came into the restroom when they noticed that, for example, you were on your cell phone, you know, or you was just in there just hanging out, chatting with your coworkers. But to really ask you what took you so long when you went to the, the restroom, those are not questions they should be asking you. Uh, other professional boundaries. For example, let's say you go on a job interview. There are such a thing as what they refer to as illegal questions. No one should be asking you the ages of your children. How many children do you have? If you're married, you know, it's just certain questions that they should not be asking you. Okay. Uh, uh, another thing too is just guard yourself because sometimes when they violate these boundaries, there's usually an ulterior motive behind it. More so than just people being nosy. Sometimes when they violate your boundaries, they may be looking for a way to weed you out from that job and to get somebody else in that job. A long time ago, a recruiter shared the following with me, that when you do your resume, you know, at the top of your resume where you have your name, and sometimes you may have your mailing address on there. Um, what a lot of our prospective em um, employers do is they'll take a look at your resume, that header that shows your city state where you live. They will take that address. Literally, they will do a Google Earth search. That's to check out the area in which you live. And based upon that, unfortunately, they will formulate certain opinions about you which is not a good thing. Maybe you're someone that's been out of town. You're back here in town. You're living with a relative. You're trying to get back up on your feet, you know, financially. You're trying to get stable. You just got this job or, you know, you're in the process of looking for a job and you're living with a friend. Maybe they don't live in the best of area, whatever. You know, that's your business. Doesn't mean that, you know, you're not dependable or reliable. Doesn't mean you're incapable of doing the job. It just simply means that that's your zip code. So what I was always taught was not to put that on your resume. 
your mailing address. Okay, so that's an example of a professional boundary, I feel, because people are looking at those things and making judgments um, about you. And also to another professional boundary that I see people oftentimes violate is this. Let's say you're at a work event. Alcohol is being served and people start drinking. All right. Respect those boundaries with your employer. If you're at an event, I don't even care if the employer is drinking. That doesn't mean you need to be drinking. Okay. Loose lips sink ships. Sometimes people get out there. They violate those boundaries where the employer is present. They start drinking and, and doing all manner of things. Another situation I encountered once was, this was many, many years ago. This has probably been about 15 years ago. I was at a work event and uh, we were at one of those sporting events, uh, my entire department. And we had an employee who got drunk at the event and she proceeded to become belligerent with some of the other employees. Again, professional boundaries, you know, conduct yourself in such a way that you remain professional, whether staying in your own lane, being respectful to others, their privacy. Okay. And not only um, their privacy, just their personal life. It's just certain questions you should not be asking people, just respect people. So we're talking about, um, I gave you several examples of, um, Professional boundaries. So other boundaries, unhealthy boundaries. Oh my goodness. There are so many people out there that's just disregarding, uh, boundaries. So what are some unhealthy boundaries? Some examples of those would be disrespecting someone's values, beliefs, and opinions when you don't agree with them. Okay. So not saying no. Or not accepting when others say no. So you and I, you know, your values are your values. My boundaries and my values are mine. My beliefs are mine. My opinions are just that. My opinions. You don't have to agree with me. You know, we can respectfully disagree, but you do not have to disrespect people and others based upon their values. You don't need to do that. You know, based upon their beliefs. I work with people who have different values, different beliefs. I still respect them. You know, um, they may be, you know, into all types of risky behaviors, but guess what? That's their own personal choice. But I, you know, I don't knock them for it, meaning I don't disrespect them for it. You know, I'm still respectable to them. And that's that because I believe in treating others how I wish to be treated. So I don't want anyone to disrespect my values you know, my wants, my needs, my limits. Okay, so think about boundaries um, in, in your personal life. Some of those boundaries can be your physical needs, your emotional and your mental limits. These are the things that we establish really to protect ourselves from, guess what, being manipulated, used or violated by others. How many times... Have you encountered a situation where you left and you just felt so used, so violated, so, so disrespected? That didn't feel good, did it? I remember a situation where I worked in this company where I had uh, 
been bullied for two and a half to three years. I felt manipulated. I just felt so used. I felt so violated and used and abused all over again when I went to the senior management at this company to share with them what had happened to me. And they knew about it. And you know what? They totally disrespected me. You may be saying, well, what do you mean they totally disrespected you? They totally disrespected me because, number one, they didn't intervene. They didn't do anything about it. And part of my um, situation with them was um, I had a chronic illness. And I went to them, to the senior management team, and I requested a transfer from the job to another position. I had been looking at other jobs internally, but due to my position in the company, um, it was a management position. Um, I went with them to let them know, you know, I'm having some health challenges. Just want to let you know, I did not get into detail what the health challenges were because that's none of their business. And I let them know that I value my position within the company, but due to these health challenges, you know, um, I'm looking for new opportunities within the company and I would like your support. And um, they told me basically they viewed me as someone who couldn't get the job done anymore. You know why? Because I had a chronic illness. So you're talking about boundaries, personal boundaries, physical, emotional and mental. They just stepped all over that and violated those boundaries. Uh, that made me feel so violated, so disrespected, so mistreated. Basically, what they were saying is we do not want any disabled people in our corporation. That's basically what that amounts to. So they were discriminating based upon disability because they view people with chronic illnesses and disability as people who should not be working for them, people who could not get the job done, people who could not be dependent upon and relied upon. And so, yes, um, I did experience that. And when I tried to talk to them about that, you know what? Their mind was made up. I'm going to take it a step further. They didn't care. They didn't care anything about personal boundaries. There were other employees at this company, and it was well known that they had problems with substance abuse. They will even come to work under the influence of substance abuse. Nothing was said. You know, it was kind of like uh, the party hotel. All that seemed to be more acceptable. And I think that it was more acceptable for them because they probably were doing some of the same thing. So therefore, they didn't care anything about boundaries. They didn't know what the word boundaries really meant. So. When you think about your relationships, right, we have to have boundaries, even in our relationship. And there are 10 things that need to hold a lot of importance in our relationships. Um, number one should be trust. If I'm going to be in a relationship with you, even a working relationship, okay, physical relationship, emotional relationship, whatever kind of uh, relationship you may have, you have to have trust in that relationship because guess what? If I can't trust you, I can't be bothered with you. Okay. If I can't trust you, I've got to always be on guard because you're not trustworthy. So that's the first thing that you should hold to be 
a matter of importance in the relationship more than just love, trust, because you can love someone. You can be in love someone. That doesn't mean that you can trust that person with your heart. Okay. Number two, uh, you have to have honesty. So if you're an employer and I'm coming to you, for example, and I'm letting you know that I have a chronic illness. Okay. And I'm being honest with you. I need to be able to trust you that you're not going to use my disability against me. Okay. Likewise, in a relationship, you have to have honesty between all parties, because if you're not a uh, honest person, you're not trustworthy. Again, we, we can't be together. We can't hang out. Another thing, uh, number three, you have to have respect. See, the respect goes back to setting boundaries. It starts with mutual respect, respecting each other's emotions, our physical boundaries. So think about physical boundaries. I've been hearing this weekend, last week, about these situations where some women, men included, have found themselves in where people have disrespected their physical boundaries, where there's been a lot of groping. One of the Jonas brothers I heard about, I believe it was last week or the week before, was on stage performing in a fan there, uh, grope, I believe it was Nick Jonas, inappropriately. There have been situations where uh, Cuba Gooding and many other people that have come out in the news recently where it has been alleged and I say alleged because I wasn't there. It has been alleged that they inappropriately touch people. OK, uh, whether it's the Harvey Weinsteins of this world or whomever, you know, we really have to respect people's emotional and physical boundaries. That's very important. Uh, also, too, communication. You have to have open and honest communication. You have to be loyal. Also, it's got to be happiness, right? That's important. And compromise. It's all about 50-50, give and take. And, and the last thing about boundaries, safety. Safety is so vital, important. So when you think about boundaries, I'm going to leave you today with this. Um, boundaries enable you to draw the line between you and other people. Okay. It's going to differentiate between ownership and responsibility. So boundaries show you where you end and someone else begins. So you have to, you must set boundaries. That's vitally important in our relationships. I have a lot of friends out there who are in relationships where boundaries were not set. And they were victims of domestic abuse. This is now November. If I'm not mistaken, I believe the month of October was domestic abuse month. Again, boundaries not being set. So I hope you enjoyed today's show and um, look forward uh, to returning soon. Have a wonderful day and thank you for listening to The Pain-Free Zone. I'm your host, Nisi Edwards. Thank you.